We were not with you last week. We were on Tybee. Never been there before, but it was the first time. Good little trip. Reminded me so much of Charleston, it was kind of scary for a minute. Driving through Savannah, I was like, this is not Charleston, but it kind of feels similar. Went out to the island and it looked like Isle of Palms to me, if you know what that's all about. So anyway, very familiar yet different for us. And I'm so thankful that we had Brian Rogers filling in for me when I was unable to preach. So I don't know how long I'm going to preach this morning, but I'm done when I'm done, Brian. Well, he says, looking at my contract, a year's almost up, big boy, keep going. Anyway, we're talking about faith this morning. Faith is one of those Christian words that we sometimes like to use. It's used in the Bible quite often, and yet sometimes in reference to faith, it's kind of like using the word love, right? I think I've given you my illustration before about how much I love my wife, how much I also love Chick-fil-A, but the love I have for my wife is not the same level of love that I have for Chick-fil-A, thankfully. That's why I'm still married. So the idea of love biblically needs to be defined a bit better to have a, a fuller sense of what's being discussed. The same thing is true about faith. When I say the word faith, your mind may be taken to a place of, well, belief. If you have faith, then you have belief. And in some passages, that word faith is used almost interchangeably with the idea of belief. But sometimes it means the idea of trust, not just belief, but having confidence and trust in God, and therefore you have faith in God. But sometimes and in other places that word faith is a bit more unclear or ambiguous. So what I want to do this morning is go through three points, because every good gospel sermon has three points, and they are alliterated, you're very welcome. The main text towards the end of our conclusion will go towards Luke 17. So if you want to turn there, that's okay to go ahead and prepare yourself 5 through 10 if you want to get a preview. But I first want to go through a couple of ideas about what it means to define faith properly. Now, I want to give you a heads up. There are some words that I'm going to be using that are words I don't like using because I can't pronounce them quite well. So when I get there, I'm going to give you the definition of those words if I can't say it correctly, and that may be a bit clearer. So I want to prepare you that before you see some words I can't say. I'm not that smart. Faith. There we are. See, the projection works. Thank you, Tevin. Um, Tevin. Tristan. It's all the same family, right? Okay. Covenantal faith. I can pronounce covenantal, believe it or not. We go over to Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. This is one simple way to define faith. It has the idea of, in the Lord's church, we sometimes use that phrase, faithful and we mean a whole lot more than we really mean by saying that word faithful, being pleasing to God, walking according to his commandments. Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14, Now therefore, the Lord, uh, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. 
put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've been to many homes. We will have that last little bit in verse uh, 15, part B, as a kind of a sign when you walk into their home as a statement of faith for their family. So that's one way to define faith is through a covenant. You have a relationship with God, and part of that agreement we have with God is being faithful to what he told us to do. Uh, a different way to talk about or define faith is epistemological. I said it. There we go. Faith. That word, that's a really fancy. It's a $5 word, right? just simply means the theory of knowledge is its definition. It means more of kind of like a, a process going on within your thinking, meaning faith. And it's not blind faith per se. It's faith based on the evidence of Scripture and looking at the world. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul defines faith this way, beginning in verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So you see how it's different than the Joshua passage. They were faithful to a covenant, and then we walk by faith. There's that kind of head knowledge, a theory of knowledge described here in the text. Not by sight, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, walking by faith, right? And so you have the first idea of defining faith to be a, an agreement or a covenant with God. The second one is we're walking by faith, not blind faith, but through the evidence of Scripture. And that leads us towards eschatological, there it is, faith. Now that fancy word again, $5 for each word we use like that, is just means the end times. We're looking at the end of the race, the finish line waiting for us, that crown of righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, Paul wrote, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We live by faith in this world, and then we go to see our faith face to face. If we look at the idea of faith and those definitions are somewhat helpful for us. Is that too loud? No? Okay. Just my ears. So we see faith defined. We also see faith demonstrated. Let's go to James chapter 2 together. I recommend you turn there because it's always a good thing to turn to James. Very handy, very useful book. Chapter 2 beginning in verse 14. James, the supposed half-brother of Jesus, according to the evidence of Scripture, probably one of the first books penned of the New Testament, and he writes this, James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Well, kind of, <laughs> is my answer. Depends on what you mean, right? We define faith in different ways so far, and there are many more ways to define faith biblically. We're talking about the kind of faith that we're doing to perform actions to earn salvation? Then no, faith can't save us. 
But if it's us living in agreement with what God told us to do and living by faith in that kind of way, well then, yeah. But here in this context, James is talking more about the idea of works salvation. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? The answer is, it's not good at all. Imagine walking over to a person who is panhandling on the side of the street and saying, you know what, I'll pray for you. I mean, that's better than nothing, I suppose, but if you can give them food to help them out with their physical needs of the body, that's far better, isn't it? Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If you say you believe in God and trust in Him, that's great. But if you don't live like you believe and trust in Him, what good is it? Nothing. I'm going to take it one step further. If you wake up early enough to be here on a Sunday morning to praise His name, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus the Christ by His body and by His blood, and to hear His word preached for 25 to 30 to 40 to 50 minutes, however long I go, Brian. If you're here, <laughs> but then Monday morning, there's been no change. You don't live like a Christian lives. What good is it? I'm glad you're here, but make sure it's genuine. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works, James says. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. It's a good thing to believe, right? Because it's the truth. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, apart from works, is useless? Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture says, Abraham believed God, that's from the head, or from the heart, and it was counted unto him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. The illustration there is Abraham, when he was told to go offer his son Isaac, he couldn't just simply say, you know what, God, I have faith. I believe you. I trust in you. But I'm not going to do what you told me to do. That wasn't complete. That was part one of a two-part process. He believed God followed through with his faith by trying to offer his son Isaac like God told him to do, and therefore God knew his heart and his mind were in the right spot. Verse 24, verse, uh, yes, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 25, in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works, is dead. So we have faith to find. Now we have faith demonstrated. Do I have Galatians or no? Yeah, I do. Galatians 5 and verse 6, Paul put it this way, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Faith to find Faith is demonstrated. You perform actions that confirm your faith, your belief, and your trust. 
And this last bit is the one I really want to get to. Hopefully you found that beneficial, but this last one is if you don't leave with anything else from me talking this morning, this is the one that I want to go to together and try to pull it apart a little bit. Let's go to Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 5. If you have a Bible in front of you, I prefer you turn there to see it in your own text. Seeing it on a screen is helpful for quick reading, but seeing it in your own Bible to where you can go back there later and see exactly how it lines up in your, uh, your Bible, to me, gives some more depth to the actual study. Here in Luke chapter 17, a couple of connections to make for us. Verses 1 through 4 of Luke 17 talk about the idea of temptation and forgiveness and sin. And then in verse 5, on the end of the idea of forgiving someone and repentance and so on, the apostles said, verse 5, to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, I really would love to have a bit more, like a, a little small video on my phone to where I can just see where they were sitting, what was being discussed in that conversation, and then with what spirit or attitude the apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. Because they had seen so much more than we have seen. They've seen miracles. They saw Jesus do things that we can't even explain, much less describe in a couple of verses. They've seen so much. They should have a lot of faith, maybe comparatively to us even. But they said, Lord, increase our faith. And then this is what Jesus says, verse 6. The Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, if you are part of the loafers group, and you were there that Wednesday where I went off on a tangent in class, you know where I'm going. I struggle with that particular concept. I want to know more about it. I wish I had a clearer picture of what Jesus really means there. Does he mean that they are so lacking in faith, they don't have enough faith to even fill a mustard seed? Or is he trying to be kind of analytical here and trying to explain that, well, faith isn't a physical thing that you can quantify, but if you could quantify it, it would be small enough to be able to remove mountains and mulberry trees. I'm not too sure, but I believe the next section helps me understand it a little bit better. Beginning in verse 7, now he's going to use an illustration here that would have made perfect sense to the apostles in the first century living under Roman occupation in which three-quarters of the main population were people that were called slaves. It's going to be a foreign concept, thank God, for us to not know what a slave is like in your home, right? Let's read the text and we'll go through it. Verse 7, Will any one of you who has a servant, that's the word slave or bond servant, plowing or keeping sheep, so they work on your property, say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. So here's the stage set for us. If you are a person who is a property owner in the Roman world, and you have people that are bond servants or slaves for your household, when he's done with his work for the day, Will any of you invite him to come and have a meal at the main table with you? 
And we think, well, yes, a nice thing to do. But no, in the Roman world, that's not what you would do. That's not their place in that context, in that part of the world, at this time in history. That's an unusual thing to say. Verse 8, Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Well, yeah, that's the obvious thing from the Roman world in the first century. If you are a household manager, and you have slaves that work for you, it's their place in that world, in that context, at this time in history, to have them prepare a meal for you, serve you as servants, and then afterwards they would eat. Again, a foreign thing to our culture. Thank God. Right? Y'all with me here? Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Our minds say, well, yeah, it's a nice thing to thank people that serve you. But in this context, in this world, in this time in history, that would have been unnecessary. You wouldn't thank the servant for doing what a servant would do in your household. Here's the point. Verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say... We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Lord, increase in our faith. Oh, you, just, you don't need as much faith as you think you do to be pleasing to God. Lord, increase our faith. Okay. If you want to have your faith developed, how you think about yourself is one key to help unlock your faith. Jesus said, you also, when you've done all that God has commanded you to do, he may not say thank you, there not be a great reward for you awaiting, your perspective of serving God, your creator, should simply be that of a servant. Lord, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was proper for us to do, which is serve our Master and our Lord. That helps develop our faith because we are living in a world in which we are told how you feel is the most important thing in the entire world. How you think about you and your success, in your stuff, in your family, is the most important thing in existing in this world. That's not true at all, folks. When you come to the scriptures, and you learn what faith looks like, there is an unseen realm just out of our vision. And everything and everyone in that unseen realm just beyond this world knows who God is. Every time you see a picture of heaven, you see God on the throne. And there are multitudes bowing down and praising him for all eternity. And we want a pat on the back for obeying that guy? Our God? Our creator? No, we're simply unworthy servants doing what was proper for us to do serving the creator of the universe. When that's our perspective, 
It's hard not to have faith. To know that this world means so much more than what we can see. It's not some untangible, blind thing that we're reaching for. No, it's a God who loved us so much to reach down into our world, live among us for 33 years, and then to die for us. Jesus came as a servant of all mankind, and we want to follow him. The highest goal we can reach is being a servant like our master. Let's go to Luke chapter 12, just for a moment. Got five whole minutes, Ted. How about that? Twenty-five more? Okay, I can feel it. Dave, you cool with that? Okay. It's been vetoed. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. This is the same kind of context. Do I have it or not? I don't. It's a fountain free, though. I know that much. Okay. Luke 12, verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. There's us in that servant role again, waiting for our master to return home. We have to be ready. Verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. There's the opposite. We simply serve, as Jesus did, and when he finally comes back, he's going to serve us. Verse 38. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. Why? Because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. I'll simply say this. Whether Jesus comes back or we pass from this life, we have no guarantee. We have no certainty. We have no promise. We make plans for the future. As good stewards, planning for the future is an important role for us to be responsible Christians. However, we plan for the future, but it's not promised. We say to our Lord, Lord, increase our faith. And he says, just remember who you are. I came as a servant and I served you. You want to follow me, you be a servant as well. And when he finally comes home for that wedding feast, he's bringing us home. Faith is one of those words that sometimes is ambiguous or unclear. It's difficult to know what's meant in each case. But I know if I want to increase my faith, my confidence, my trust, my belief in God, having that proper perspective of knowing who I am in light of who He is will help me grow and develop that faith. This morning, where do you stand in light of who He is? 
Have you got wrapped up in that thinking about yourself and your world and your things? It's so easy to do. Just be reminded, our Creator loves us enough to show us in these examples how we are to live, how we are to think, how we're to behave and grow our faith. If anyone has a need to respond to the invitation this morning, something in your life is an improper balance, priorities are shifting from what they should be, you can come forward and talk to me for a minute. We can pray for you publicly, or we can meet one of our shepherds at either of the doors, and they can discuss it with you privately as well. If anyone has a need to respond this morning, please respond as we stand and we sing.